Hey, it's Pastor. I am so excited you could join us uh, as we hear and listen to the Word of God. And I'm always hoping and praying that He's going to specifically guide your life and give you the hope and the peace that you cannot give to yourself. He is the power every time He promises to work through this Word. If He has worked in your life, we want to hear about it. Please email us, let us in, encourage us uh, by emailing office.amazinglove at gmail.com. Also, if you'd like to support this ministry, make messages like this ongoing, uh, go to our giving tab online or download the app. Go to the app store and search Amazing Love Luther. But now, may you continue to grasp how wide, high, and deep and long is the love of Christ in this for you. Thank you. Family in Christ, good to see everyone. I want to know, what did you dream about being when you grew up? I remember what I dreamed about being. I was in second grade, and the project was to draw a picture of what you wanted to be. And my picture looked a little bit like this. I was preaching from a pulpit, and the congregation was singing this old uh, song I learned in camp called, Do Lord, Do Lord, Oh, Do Remember Me. I was going to preach. And even at an early age, I knew I wanted to do this. My grandmother would ask, what do you want to be? And, and I would say a pastor and I would get like a cookie or something good for my grandmother just because I said that, right? But then as I grew up, even early on, I knew that this is, there's nothing else I'd want to do. I idealized if I became a doctor and I cured cancer, that would be great and everyone would know my name and, and God would have used me. But if I didn't tell them about Jesus, would they still die? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they might have had 20 or 30 extra years, but what is that compared to eternity? I considered, what if I was a pop star? Grew up during MC Hammer days. And I could have had a song like Can't Touch This and Influence Style with Parachute Pants. But even a decade later, I could be bankrupt and the Parachute Pants gone and never coming back. And so I wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to use earthly moments so that someday when I get to heaven, God made the impact and he was the power, but he used me as the instrument to shape eternity. That's what I wanted to do. But here's what I didn't know in second grade. I didn't know what it took to get there. Not even a little. (laughs) In fact, in high school, I thought I was getting close. I was taking Latin, I was taking German, and I was thinking maybe that was enough, but no, college was rigorous and seminary was rigorous, and I would tell you there were enough times that I could have clocked out and given up even though there was nothing else I wanted to do. (laughs) I didn't know what it took to get there. What about you? Have you ever had this experience? It's an experience when you know where you want to be, but you don't know or you don't appreciate what it takes to get there. Let's do football a little bit. How many are excited football is coming back? Football fans? All right. 
I know we're in bear country, so I'll refer to the bears, even though I am, I don't know, I won't tell you what I am. Anyway, um, <laughs> and, and we know what the goal for the bears is, right? The goal is to uh, someday get back to here, right? Undefeated, right? Maybe not Mike Dicka, maybe, I don't know, maybe that's what they need. Anyway, um, <laughs> but I'm going to be a prophet, I'm, I'm going to make a prophecy. It ain't going to be this year. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It might not be next year or the next five years. Um, you know, uh, that's me making a prediction because they know where they want to be, but it's going to take some time once you agree to get there. Yeah, yeah. Here's what I know about you. You, you came into to Amazing Love today, and, and you had in your mind certain theirs you wanted to be. And I'm not sure where those areas were, but I know you came with them. Some people came in, and, and you visualized your marriage to be somewhere. You have a there in mind when it comes to your marriage. Some of you kids, you, you have ideas in your mind over uh, the games you're going to play, and the accolades you're going to win, and, and, and the tests you're going to pass, and, and, and all these things. You have a there in mind. Or maybe there's some business people, and, and you have that position in mind. You know where there is. What does it take to get there? That's what I want to talk about with you today. See, our theme today is uh, the time has finally come, and how awesome when the time finally gets there, right? When it finally, when, when you arrive. But because we can't control when there happens or when then happens, what we can talk about is the process of arriving. Not arriving itself, but the process of arriving, which is what I want to talk about today. And so as we talk about the time has come, we recognize that the time has come basically in this space. Amen? The time has come. And even though we knew what we wanted to do, it took a while to get here. And I could tell you a little bit about the process, especially if you're just joining us today. I could tell you that three and a half years ago, almost four we were planning for a space to look like this. And I could tell you of the people who gave generously. I could tell you of all the volunteer work that went in. Pulling up carpet, making a tech table, doing the, the, the electrical. Um, I could tell you about the contractors who did great work. I could tell you what I did this past week. This past week I looked like this. You know why? That's what happens when you spray conduit. I, I, I thought of myself like Leonardo da Vinci, you know. Electricians eat your heart out, right, you know. And I was working on the ceiling also that magically those pipes will disappear, right? I could tell you a little bit about the process. Because what you need to know is when the time comes, there was a process that came before. And so let's go to the Word of God. The time has come for Esther. And let me give you a background to the story if you're just joining us. The background is that Esther is a Jew who married the king. And yet there's this edict to annihilate all the Jews, all because of an evil man named Haman, who is as bad as Hitler, who is as bad as Pol Pot, who basically wants to commit genocide because he hates one person named Mordecai and then thus hates all people. If you are here last week, we talked a little bit about hate and how there is no place for it for anyone or whatever they've done. But that was Haman. And Esther... She had in her mind to go to the king even though she could lose her life. And Esther had a plan in place. And what we're seeing is the culmination of what she does. The culmination of what happened and the process she went through. So let's get into it. Uh, Esther chapter 7. You can follow along in your worship folder or on the screen. Um, let's consider this story. It says, So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. And we'll talk about the banquets that she prepared. We'll uncover that. And as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king asked Queen, Queen Esther, what is your petition? 
It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life, for this is my petition. Spare my people. This is my request, for I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet, because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. That's well spoken. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, Who is he? Where is he, the man who dared to do such a thing? And Esther said, An adversary, an enemy, this vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. He had right to be. The king got up in a rage, left his wine, and went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining from worse to worse. The king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? And as soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face and put him in a van. <laughs> That's what I imagined anyway, you know, the black. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs, attended the king, said, A pole reaching to the height of 50 cubits stands by Haman's house. Now this was a seven and a half story foot pole. And, and, and these people were known for impaling people. So they're not being hung, they're being impaled, which is gruesome. It led to crucifixion. Uh, it said that they did that, and then crucifixion came to the Romans. Anyway, but this is bad. And uh, he set it up for Mordecai, who had spoken to help the king. The king said, impale him on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. And Esther and her people were safe. And the time had finally come for them to be under and out from that weight of judgment and out and under from that weight of the edict. And though God is not mentioned in this book called Esther, God is the invisible ink. God is working all behind the scenes so that his people would be protected, so that Esther would not die, and so that the promise could still come of a Messiah through the Jews. That God is working for you in invisible ways to make your time come. In fact, can you turn to the person next to you and just tell them, your time will come. Your time will come. Your time will come. That's what we want to talk about today. All right, so let's get going. Um, you know, I have a love-hate relationship with vacation. I do. Um, there's a lot of things I like about vacation. For example, I like getting there. Um, it is the one time that I read a fictional book on my Kindle. It's great, you know, the, the one time I don't have to be practical and, and dig in. Uh, it's great to be at a pool. It's great to play the where is in the world is Carmen Sandiego, but I play where in the world are the bloomers going to go. And it's, it's really fun even planning, right? Um, and, and so being there, and, and we have uh, parents in Orlando, so sometimes we see Mickey, and seeing Mickey, that, that's all fun. But the hate part is preparing to leave. Anyone with me there? Like, I've heard on needing a vacation from your vacation, but I need a vacation from preparing to leave. Is anyone with me? Like, because preparing to leave is just nauseating to me. You, you have to check your reservations. You have to check your passport. You have to check this, that, or the other. You have to check the home stuff and make sure you take the garbage out. Because if you ever come back from vacation, you didn't take the garbage out. And ever done that? That is not a good idea. Um, <laughs> you have to plan for the cat, even though I don't want to plan for the cat, so I'll let cat plan for the cat because I don't care about the cat. But anyway, you should care for your cats. But anyway, uh, you got to do that because cats are kind of important, not really important, not as important as dogs. But anyway, a cat has to do that, right? And, um, and so, so we do that. 
that, and, and that's just one part of the household, and, and then you got all the things at work, and, and sometimes before you leave work, you have like a double week of work, and then you're coming back to a double week of work, also you can go on this thing called a vacation. Oh my goodness. You need a vacation for preparing to go on vacation. Right? And to get there takes a lot of work. I, I guess that was my point. To get to the point where you're beachside with your Kindle, it just takes a ton, right? To actually have that time arrive. We just saw Esther arrive. The plan uncovered. Awesome. But let me tell you her steps of preparation. So when she hears the edict, let's go back to things she had done. When she knows the Jews are set for annihilation, this is the first thing she does when she hears from Mordecai. She says, go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. And I believe prayer was involved in there. Um, fasting usually associated with God. There's a little bit of guesswork there, but I believe prayer would be going in there. And also during those three days, I think it's then that she is devising what I think is a spectacular plan. A spectacular plan. Um, and then the moment comes. So three days later, she's risking her life, going to the king. The king could kill her. He's got a guard. The axe guy could just chop off her head because, you know. So she does that. And we, we, we skipped over that, but here it was. When he saw Queen Esther, she, she went there, standing in court. He was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. Whew. She didn't die. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. It was from there that the king asked, what do you want, Esther? Even up to half the king, what do you want? And here her plan is starting to unfoil. She says, I want you to come to a banquet, just you and Haman. And, and I was doing some Hebrew study. So I know you have the English Bible, and the, and the English just says it's a banquet. In the Hebrew, you know what it says? You do, don't you? I might tell you, if you're nice. It's a certain type of banquet. It's not a banquet of donuts, but that would be good. It is a banquet of wine. Do you know that? And what this reminds me, okay, so there's moderation with alcohol. If you drink alcohol, you should have moderation. Let's get that across. But alcohol is not sinful in and of itself. It, drunkenness is. Anyway, but, but let's say you're a beer person, right? And you just like a beer. And you have a buddy who has created a craft brew place and has said, hey, come, I have a special tasting just for you. Do you want to go to that place? Yes. So King Xerxes, right? He, he's known for drinking alcohol. And, and this is not any banquet. This is a banquet of wine. Does he want to go? Yes. So he goes to the first banquet and, and, and he learns, okay, what do you want? What do you want? Up to half of the kingdom, what do you want? He's like, I know. I know Esther's plan. It's still, she's so patient. She's so good. She's like, come to a second banquet. You know what was on the, on the table, on the menu? Wine again. You got it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so come to a second banquet just of wine. And it's then that she gets into the words that we just had. After all the steps, after all the planning, and look at how calculated her words are. If I have found favor with you, your majesty, if it pleases you, grant me. She's not asking for her people. She's just saying, can you grant me my life? And any husband worth his weight is like, yes. And thank you for the wine. I didn't even know your life was in danger because he had not realized that she was a Jew. He, she, he did not realize that this edict affected this new queen who had just won the bachelor. And, and he was going to actually stay together in this situation. He wasn't calling off the engagement. Okay? And, and so he, he finally realized that 
her life was at stake and, and spare my people. And then look how calculated this. If, if it was merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. You know how much humility and planning that must have taken? In my mind, she was writing exactly these words the night before and like prepping the speech and waiting for the time. And she's a smart lady. And the time came. But you know what I learned from watching Esther? This is the first takeaway. Okay, so you got all that story. How does it apply to your life? Here it is. I believe, don't worry about arriving. Esther couldn't control if she would arrive. Consider your striving, though. And this is what it means. You have in your mind what your marriage will look like. Where there is. But let me ask you real clearly. Do you spend more time fantasizing about actually being there? Or do you spend more time actually striving to be the man and the woman of God that it takes to get there? Kids, we got any kids here? Still with me? You have in mind how you're going to play that sport, how you're going to do in school, how you're going to do in that activity. You can envision your trophy. You can envision the honors. You can envision getting a kuma... Summa cum laude. I took Latin. Anyway, you can envision all of that stuff, can't you? But how is your striving right now? Are you taking each at bat seriously? Are you going to each practice and giving it your all? Are you prepping for every test with every ability that God has given you? How is your striving right now? Maybe there's some Christians here. And you're like, I, I want to be a better Christian. I want to be more holy. I want to be that. And, and that is a great desire, and we work with the Holy Spirit. But, but let me ask you, how is your personal Bible study? How is your prayer life? How much have you prioritized this thing called church? Because I got to tell you, it's never been historical to be a Christian outside of the, 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 the bride, the church. And I'm not sure it's helpful. How is all that stuff? Are you just fantasizing about being that other person? Are you striving to actually get there by the grace of God? We learn a thing or two. But as we consider more, the reality is that most of our life is this striving and there's just little blips of arriving. Sports help us understand this so much, don't they? There's just a little bit of arriving. Right? There's just here. That's like a year and a day, and soon the W flags may have to come down. We'll see. I don't know. And Sox fans, I love you guys. There you go. It's a little later before, but anyway. But you think of all the striving that went in to get to that arriving. You think of the percentage that it took, and for the Cubs, 100 years for one day. And same with your own life, that, that, that you're going to have just little bits of arrival, right? You work and you work, you work, I graduated, right? And, and, and you love and you go on dates and you, you're romantic and you're trying to do all this and I get married, right? And then you think of like, oh, we want a family, I got a child, right? And, and then there's all these kind of things, I graduated, right? All these little things, and, and we're, we're just a little bit arriving. Like, how many days did we have at church before this day of arrival? Lots. That's the answer. Lots of striving. Little arriving. Lots of striving. The other way around. Anyway. Um, so the point is, if, if most of our life is, is about striving, th- th- this is what we need to do. I think you need to embrace the fact you're going to be in the meantime. 
you're not going to be arriving every day. And then if you're going to embrace the meantime and know that most of your life is there, embrace also what God can do in your meantime. And let me tell you a little bit about God. And first of all, if you're new to church, the greatest thing about God is he is Savior. He saved us because we couldn't save ourselves, and he is love when we were unlovable. But, but if you're in Christ, you also need to know that he is gardener. He is a gardener, and he's a perfect gardener. And in fact, he says, we're the plants. That's the parallel that Jesus brought up. Look at what God is like. Jesus said this. He said, I'm the true vine, and my father is a gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he, can you say that word? He, yeah. How many of you think pruning is pleasant? Go out on a limb. I'm going to say pruning is not pleasant. But if you allow him, if you allow him to prune, you will produce more fruit. If you allow him to cut away and say, I, I need to work on your contentment. I need to work because you just want to get and get and get and, and, and never thank me for all that you have. I need to cut that away. And you compare yourself to others. You're always comparing. You're always looking across the shoulder. You're always looking across the aisle at who's doing what and how they're doing it better. I need to cut that away. Your approval you're gaining it from others. And they're as inconsistent as the waves on the ocean. Sometimes it's calm, sometimes it's raging. That means if your approval is tied to that raging ocean, that approval is going to go up and down with how they're feeling. Why are you doing this? Find your approval in me. Yeah, he's pruning. He's pruning. And pruning hurts. And pruning takes humility. The humility to say, I don't have it all figured out. And you can correct my wrongs. And God, I'll allow you to cut away. But at this point, we've got to be real that we haven't perfected this. At this point, like I just consider all the ways I could have strived, and I haven't. And how many of us can say we've always pursued 100% holiness all of the time? We've always just strived all of the time to get to that point of arrival. Or how many of us can say we really like the pruning? God, sign me up for that again. Uh, a little more pruning, please. It's hard. And so what I realize is that if arriving in a relationship with God is based on my activity, I will never arrive. If arriving in a relationship, a right standing with God is based on me, I will never arrive. What about you? And it draws me back to the lesson. Because you need to know God is a help. God is an aid. God's arm is not too short to save and not too uh, short to, to, to help us out. In fact, when we look at Esther's story, yes, she put a plan together, but Esther couldn't control the mind of crazy King Xerxes. What I see in this story, it has less to do with Esther's plan and more to do with God's mercy and his grace as he protects his people. Or think of Haman and his destiny. How is it other than the grace and the protection of God that the, the gallows that he built is the one that he is impaled upon? Is there not a God? Yes, when you arrive, it will be more about his mercy and his grace than it will be about your striving. And this is the gospel. This is the gospel that saves. 
How if you want to be a child of God, it doesn't even have a little bit to do with your striving. It has nothing to do with your striving and everything to do with his grace and mercy. This is the phrase that the church is built upon. Look here. It is by grace you have been saved through faith and is not of yourselves. It's not your plan. It's not your activity. It's not the good that you offer to the community. It's a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. And what I find here, you have the right to arrive. You have the right to arrive today. That if you wanted to arrive and know what it is to be forever loved, to be unfailingly loved, to be unconditionally loved, to have a love that never goes away, you've arrived. If you wanted to know what it's like to live without guilt, without fear of punishment, without shame, you have arrived. If you wanted to know that you will have a forever someday in a place far better than this, you have arrived all because of Jesus the Savior. And all because of him. And not because of us. I love that we come together and most of all, we celebrate his grace, his mercy, and his favor that he is the heavy lifter. And so if it's true that our salvation was based on his mercy and grace and not our striving, is it perhaps true that our progress in this, about arriving, will also be about his grace and his mercy and less about our striving? Now, I'm not trying to contradict the point before. I'm just trying to give you balance, and I want to talk about that, okay? Have any of you had a project that you offloaded to someone else, and you came home and you saw that it was all done? If you've ever had that, it is a glorious reality. For example, you can go to a car repair place and and you can say, it doesn't do this quite right and it's making that sound. And then go to work and and come back and it's all gone. And it's kind of like a magic wand was waved and you're like, woohoo, right? Except for the bill. Anyway, um, and and that happens with renovations. Has has anyone ever had like new carpet put in or new floors and, and one day you left and the other day you arrived and it was done? Well, it happened in church. So anyway, uh, if you've never had it, it happened here. So it was really cool. And, um, and for me, it was this tree stump. I had a tree stump, and it was, it was the thorn in my flesh or something. It was a tree stump in my flesh. Never mind. This is really bad. Anyway, uh, but anyway, I, I went one day, and I said, tree stump people, get that. And I came back, and it was gone. And I was happy. Didn't even see it. Wasn't even part of the work. Great. I love it when progress is made, and I've done nothing. You know what I'm saying? Do you know if God is on your side, progress can be made while you do nothing. It's fantastic. It really is. You you need to get a hold of this. In in fact, it reminds me of how God works in his kingdom. In the kingdom of God, he he compares it to a a farmer who is scattering seed. And then as the seed is scattered, while the farmer does nothing, it's growing. Look at this. He said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed in the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. That's incredible. So he can go to sleep. He's done his part, and now he gets to rest. Because the seed will sprout and grow, though he does not know how. But we know how. Why is that seed growing? Why is progress being made? Because of God. Because of God. And so what I find is this principle. That you need to rely on God to work after you've worked, and then you need to rest. And I wonder how many of you have come in here today, and you just need to rest about some things. Because you know what? You've had the conversation. 
and you've done your part, and you've prayed, and you've worked like a dog, but now, when you're not doing anything, you need to rely on God to do it. And the truth is, there are battles that we face, and there's justice that we need, and there are problems that we need solving that are too big for us. They're way far above. And so after doing what you need to do, just rest. And maybe you're new to God. And maybe you thought life worked this way, that if I need a helping hand in my situation, it must be my other hand. I'm telling you there's a greater hand. There's the hand of God who knew you by name, who called you to this point, who wants to radically help you and give you strength. Rest in him. Rest today. Bring that thing to him. and Let him do his work. One final thing before we leave. And that is the fact that we don't know when our time will come. And it kind of reminds me how we don't know when Jesus will return. And, and I consider the end times as we're considering uh, what happened this week. Did anyone watch this? Anyone get the goggles? Couldn't find it. You got the goggles. And, and for me, it's pretty cool to consider, you know. Um, but it was a little anticlimactic for me. It, it turned a little gray. Okay. Got it. Cool. Um, but there's going to be another solar eclipse. In seven years, I don't know if you know this, in, in uh, 2024, and it's supposed to cross in southern Illinois. And so in the Carbondale area, as it came through there the first time, this is going to cross there a second time. And some people are saying, it's the end of the world. We can see it. It's the end of the world. Now, as a pastor, I've read the Bible about the end of the world, and I, I just believe that he could come at any time because we live in the end times. There are wars, rumors of wars, famines, diseases, all those things, right? But I also believe he hasn't told us the time he'll come like a thief in the night. Uh, th that's just my reading of the Bible. Um, but let's just say, for the sake of the argument, that we knew when the end of the world was. Okay, just go with me there. Let's just say we knew Jesus is coming back in seven years. I want to follow up with another question. If you're a Christian, should it really be changing what you're about right now? My, my, my point is this. If he comes back in five days, five years, or 50, does it really change the marching orders of our lives? I don't think so. I think I want to be living for Jesus and telling people about Jesus, even if he comes back tomorrow in five minutes or five days. And so we're so hung up about arriving, but what we don't realize is it doesn't really change our activity. Sorry about that. If you knew when you will arrive, it really shouldn't change what you're doing now. It, it really shouldn't put you on a different trajectory. It really shouldn't change, again, the person that you want to be and the steps that you are making. Who cares about when that time comes? So may God help you. May God give you discernment over all the theirs that you want as you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. May he remind you that your arrival is up to him and his mercy and grace more than it is your striving. And may he bless you. But now let me pray for us all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm humbled by how many times I've had to wait. And I don't always like waiting. But Lord, I hope that in my waiting... I honor you. I wait as if I've already arrived.
That's my prayer, Lord. It's our prayer. So lead us to be the people of God that you want us to be and give us double measure of that mercy and grace as we rely on you. Amen.